Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 6 this morning. We have selected as our theme this year, the Empowered Church. And if you want to know how the Empowered Church functioned, you look to the book of Acts. And there we have been tracing over the last number of months the history of the early church, how the church was going, and just as importantly, how the church was growing. It was indeed empowered like no other time in Christian history. It was characterized by phenomenal growth, amazing miracles, power and boldness as the gospel was preached. And this is just in the first weeks of its existence. Our study has revealed how rapidly the church was growing. On the day of Pentecost, we're told that in chapter 2, verse 41, those that gladly believed, 3,000 were added. In verse 47, it says how that believers were continually being added daily. Even persecution could not stop the church, as we read in chapter 4, verse 4, that 5,000 men are added, bringing the congregation to at least 20,000 at this point. An amazing work of God. Later in chapter 5, verse 14, we're told that the multitudes of men and women were continually being added. Then in our text today, chapter 6, verse 1, we're told disciples are multiplied. So you can see here we have an amazing work of God. Great things are going on. And in this most exciting history of the church, what do we see? God's power is taking place. It's being felt. Church is being multiplied in size. And then dissension arose among the people. So having failed to stop the church in its mission by either persecution or corruption, what does Satan do? He tries distraction, tries to get the church to argue, to fight over things that really don't matter. We're told that some iniquity arose and became the cause of the first dissension in the church. Once again, it's the enemy and his attempt to divide the church by envy, by misunderstanding, And it's interesting to consider that this problem in the church could have easily produced what the previous threats of the Jewish leadership did not. And that was the cessation of the preaching of the gospel. Much at stake here. So follow along with me as we pick it up in chapter 6, verse 1. Now in those days, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of disciples and said, It is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the same pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, Prochorus, Nicana, Timon, Pominus, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Let's ask God's blessing on his word today. Father, we rejoice as we read of your work in the early church. 
this is your church, Lord. These are your people. We love you, and we want to have an impact on our community, on those that are lost. And so we pray today, as your word is spoken, that our hearts, our minds, our thoughts would be open to your work in us. Father, we ask that we would, as a result of your spirit and your word, leave this place different than when we came. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So at times, we have looked at this portion of Scripture for insight on the selection of deacons. But this morning, I want us to consider four things that it tells us about solving problems within the church. And as we know, problems come. That's the nature of people being together. Just as it has been in the early church and has continued over 2,000 years, it will continue in the future as well. So our first thought is we want to see when problems arise... Discernment is necessary. When problems arise, discernment is necessary. In Jewish society, widows were particularly needed, needy and dependent, and both the Old Testament and the New Testament singled them out, along with orphans, about people that we have to look out for, consider charitable, charitable help for. And this dissension came as the result of several factors. A number of things could be brought to mind, but I think, first of all, it probably came as the result of Satan working behind the scenes. Let's face it, Satan is not happy when a church is growing. With all that he was doing in those days, can you imagine what was going on as he saw people getting saved, added to the church, rejoicing, great power in their midst? He began to think, well, if I can't get them from outside, let me see if I could get them from inside. Cause them to fight. Cause them to struggle. So it certainly could have been of Satan. And, and don't ever forget what his tactics are. Don't ever forget the fact that he tries to make something out of nothing. And as you look at life and you realize the things that have caused problems, whether in your family or relationships, down the road you look back and you say, that was crazy. How did we get so sideways on something so silly? So it certainly could have been Satan at work. But then secondly, it could have been the result of natural division. Remember, at Pentecost, thousands of Aramaic-speaking Jews, those born in Palestine, plus the hundreds of Greek-speaking Jews born outside of Palestine, they were known as Hellenists. Suddenly, they became one in Christ. Isn't that wonderful? God's working, and it didn't matter their backgrounds, didn't matter different things going on in their lives, kind of like Calvary. We all come from different places, have different experiences in life, but we're one in Christ. But as wonderful as conversion is, it doesn't always erase the bias we have, the prejudices we have. And so we recognize that sometimes things come along and and affect us in crazy ways. When our family moved south almost 40 years ago, we realized pretty quickly we weren't like the Charlestonians. And they let us know it. Truth is, there's enough prejudice there that they're prejudiced against one another. And we learned that you weren't a blue-blooded Charlestonian unless you were born south of Broad. You couldn't even be buried in certain cemeteries. So you can imagine a couple of New Yorkers, a family of New Yorkers showing up in Charleston. Who are these folks? And what are they saying? We don't understand them. I'm thankful that at Calvary, 
We have a blend of folks, different backgrounds from different places, and I don't sense any prejudices, and, I, and nor should there be. I mean, we're one in Christ, but certainly this could have been what caused the dissension. But then it can have been as well, it's easy for things to fall through the cracks of a growing church. You know, when a church is smaller, it's easier to handle problems as they come up, difficulties, needs. Uh, when you think about the idea of when Calvary started on Curtis Street, uh, I'm told that 156 were in attendance. That's a great, great starter. But it was handled differently when problems were there, and Pastor Tom, Pastor Guy, uh, they were able to get to families and talk to people and lead people to the Lord. Uh, but as Calvary grew, and, and I believe that on an average Sunday, we are somewhere between five and 800 people in attendance. So things have to be handled differently now. And the pastoral team meets each week and we assess what has been done, what could change, what needs to change. How can we do things better? And so certainly church growth requires constant evaluation and change in the way things are done. So the complaint concerned the welfare of the widows. And in this case, it seems to have been a real problem. But this is not always so when complaining begins. Think about that. The word translated complaint, it's an unpleasant word. It was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament for the murmuring that the Jews did against Moses in the wilderness. Not a good thing. But regardless of the cause of murmuring, it's always wrong. These Greek-speaking Christians began to complain. But here's the thing. They didn't complain to those in authority. They didn't complain to those that could do anything about their need. They complained amongst themselves. So when we perhaps complain to others that may be involved but have no ability to change anything, that's murmuring. I wonder how many churches have been destroyed by a spirit of murmuring. Things happening in the lives of people and just responding. God's working. People are growing. People are getting saved. And then somebody gets it in their head. They didn't remember something in my life. They overlooked me, and I didn't get recognition for something. I, I certainly wouldn't have done it that way that the pastor did it. How many churches have been destroyed by that kind of murmuring? I wonder how many pastors have resigned because they got tired of fighting that battle. Murmuring. Things are said. Names are smeared. That spirit suddenly divides a church. And then God's power seems to be no longer upon the church. People aren't getting saved. God's not using us as he once did. That kind of spirit can destroy a church. I think it's always good to examine ourselves and make sure that a root of bidness isn't springing up in us. As the writer of Hebrew reminds us, beware, lest any root of bidness springing up in you trouble you and defile many. And that's exactly the way it happens. We get upset about something. We begin talking to others. What is the biblical way to handle something when we're offended, when we're hurt? Matthew 18 tells us we go to the person. It's between us and them, not others. 
And so it's so important for us to recognize, am, am I guilty of murmuring? Is anything that would happen in our church a result of how I'm dealing with things? The best place to look when you're upset about something is in your own heart. Because that's oftentimes where trouble begins. In Reengage, our marriage ministry, we'll be beginning that in the fall again, and you'll be hearing more about it. But we remind people, when there's a problem in a marriage, the best thing you can do for each individual is draw a circle around yourself. And those of you that have been there can say and work on everything in that circle. Because it begins with us, folks. And truthfully, we can't change others, but God could work in us that we make decisions that honor him and bring him glory. It's a good principle for us. And attitude is so important. The attitude we carry around life, how it affects us. Heard a story about a family traveling down the highway from Johnstown to Jamestown. And they stopped at Farmer Jones's farm to get some water. And a conversation took place. And he said, where are you headed? They said, Jamestown. Can you tell us what the people are like there? He says, well, let me ask you, what were the people like where you came from? Oh, they were horrible. Gossiped, murmured, nasty. We're glad to be getting out of there. The farmer told them, afraid you're going to find the same kind of people where you're going. That's the way it is sometimes. Next day, another car traveling down stops. Try to get some water. Same conversation takes place. Hey, we're moving to Jamestown. Can you tell us what the people are like? Farmer says, well, what kind of people were where you lived? Oh, they were the best. So considerate, kind. It broke our hearts to have to leave. Farmer said, you're probably going to find the same type of people where you're going. That's the way it is, folks. That's the way it is in life. Because our attitude affects our experiences. If you expect the best... Oftentimes you'll receive it. If you expect the worst, you'll probably get that too. The poet said, I went out to find a friend and found no one there. And then I went and was a friend, and friends were everywhere. Are you lonely? Do you ever feel disconnected and you say, I don't know, I'm not finding anybody like me. Have you ever considered... The Lord lays someone on your heart. Invite them out for lunch. Invite them over for coffee. 27 years ago, when we came to Calvary, we were sitting in a little Bible study in the back of Altizer Hall. The Reeds were there. And Cheryl, after the study, went over to Janet and said, Hey, I'm Cheryl Reed. Would you like to go to lunch one day this week? That began a 27-year of a special friendship. Folks, you get out of life what you put into it. So you always have to examine yourself, am I doing what I should be doing? Certainly when problems arise, discernment is necessary. But secondly, we have to realize as well, when problems arise, decisiveness is also needed. Verse 2 says, the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So what would the apostles do? What procedure would they apply to help solve this problem? And there's several possible ways they could have dealt with it. As some do, they could have ignored the problem. People do that sometimes. We're fed up at times. 
We've heard enough at times. And we hear someone else and we say, you look the other way. You can ignore a problem, but that doesn't bring any results by any means. Uh, Some things you really can't overlook. I heard about a group of college boys who decided to kidnap the team mascot, which was a goat. And they were going to keep it in their dorm room. And they had very intricate plans how to smuggle the animal into their room until someone said, but what about the smell? And then one of the other boys says, ah, the goat will just have to get used to it. Some of you have been in dorm rooms, I could tell. Listen, there are some things you can't ignore. The apostles, truthfully, could have resented the problem. They could have taken it personally. When people tell us things, sometimes we, ooh, that hurts. Maybe we should be more thick-skinned, and they certainly could have looked at it like that. I heard a story about the famous painter Whistler. He had just finished a portrait when the subject protested, you can't call that a great work of art. And Whistler said, well, you can't call yourself a great work of nature either. (laughs) Be careful what you complain about. But then the apostles could have overreacted to the problem. Sometimes we just, you know, we hear something and we want to fix it. Let's do this before we even check out the merit of it. Uh, does, Does woke mean anything to you today? We're overly sensitive, and everything's got to be lined up with our expectations. They certainly could have overreacted to the problem. But what did they do? Instead of overreacting, they faced a problem. And every problem that arises gives us opportunity to do three things. We can examine the effectiveness of our ministry. We could exercise faith in the Lord and in each other. We could express love in the way we handle things, that solutions are always available, but how do we get about it? What is the end result when we say things, when we do things? We hope that we bring glory to God, but we certainly want to draw one another closer to each other. And so, these are the things that we're seeing in the script, and when problems arise, delegation will often be helpful. Delegation will also be helpful. Verse 4 says, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. Isn't that great? That makes sense. You've been called to preach the word of God. And that certainly calls for prayer. So let's look out among us and find seven men that are full of the Holy Spirit. Full of faith. And then they chose these men. The apostles had already declared it is not desirable that we should leave the Word of God and serve tables. And now they say, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So when you read something like this, it's easy to begin to think like, oh, the apostles didn't want to do the menial work. They thought they were above that. Let some others do that. We're apostles. We're pastors. Others need to be doing that. But, but if you think that way, you miss the whole meaning of the passage. See, the apostles were convinced that their primary calling was proclaiming the word of God and with its related requirement of prayer. So instead of trying to attach blame to anyone, they delegate responsibility. Therefore, brethren, verse 3, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom you may appoint over this business. No hint that the apostles regarded this work as inferior 
or beneath their dignity. It was simply a matter of their calling. And when we think of their recommendations, we're reminded of the Old Testament when Moses was overwhelmed with all the work he was doing. He had a wise father-in-law that said, what? You're going to kill yourself. Get some men to help you. And when he did that, it made all the difference in the world. Select some men that will be able to help you. And for this important job, the apostles laid out specific qualifications. No job's too small not to require good men. And verse 3 says that they should be from among you, seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So they were chosen from within, and God blessed. And, And that's the way we do it at Calvary. In the fall, we will ask you to nominate men that we can appoint to this business. But let me tell you how that goes, because sometimes you you see someone or you think you know them, but you may not know everything. So every person that is recommended goes before the pastoral team, and, and we pray and we consider, how are these men serving now? Are they faithful? What are they doing in the church? Are they caring for others? Because we do not believe that when you make someone a deacon, they become a servant. They should be servants all along. We're just recognizing those gifts that God has given them, and they're faithful in utilizing those gifts. In spite of what seems to be the case in some churches, they were elected to settle a quarrel, not start one. And so we sad when, when it seems like the cart is pulling the horse. But that's the process we have here. And we're thankful that we can have these men serving because it makes all the difference in the world. Paul told Timothy in the selection of deacons, let these men first be tested. And that's why we consider, what have they done? What are they doing? How are they going to work out in this ministry? So when problems arise, we certainly need delegation. But when problems arise and they are handled wisely, dividends will be the result. I love verse 7, and it says, then. That stands for the results of doing things wisely. Then. Then God was able to work once again. God had their attention. God was dealing with the problems, and the leadership was following through, and the people were following the leadership. Good things were coming out. It says, then the word of God spread And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. Problems should not stop us. They should motivate us to recognize all these things that are behind the scenes, a wrong attitude, Satan trying to disrupt and work within and cause problems. But no, we go on to his glory to get past these things. And the first result we see was unity was restored among the people. Praise the Lord. According to verse 5, the proposal made the apostles please the whole multitude, their recommendation. And because they were once more united in purpose, what did it result in? The gifts of each individual once again being utilized. And as the church grows, it's not a time to get lost. It's a time to step up. It's a time to consider, Lord, can you use me? I love the words of the apostle Paul when he got saved. What would you have me to do, Lord? We have a theme, the empowered church. It's a good theme, 
How about we make it a goal? How about we seek to yield ourselves to God's power that we're so empowered that this community gets turned upside down? That we see people getting saved through the preschool and through the VBS and through the outreach and Sunday afternoon visitation and the conversations that we all have from time to time in the workplace and in our neighborhood. And God is using us to affect those around us. We're told by those that study church growth that you can't have a healthy church unless 60% of the membership is involved in some type of ministry. And, and I'm thankful to say we're somewhere in that range. That's a good thing. I commend you for that. If you're serving in some way, sit back for a moment because I want to speak to the 40%. 40% will represent about 250 people. That's a lot of people. And I know not everyone can serve in every way, but everyone can serve. You here today is a service to the Lord. You are an encouragement to me, and you are an encouragement to others that you have already had conversations with. But there are many other areas that we can offer our service And I know there are people that are willing to do it all, but why should they? When something happens in a family, what do you do? If you go to your parents' house, if you're out of the home and you go to your parents' house and you're talking to mom and dad pulls up and you went shopping and there's all kinds of groceries, would you just stand there while dad is carrying in all the groceries? No, of course not. You'd go out and you'd help him. Let me help you, dad. Or if you came over and mom was carrying something, mom, let me get that for you. Or if a sister or a brother is going through a hard time, or maybe they're moving. Man, you're going to be the first one there. That's your blood. Well, listen, we're the household of God. Why should just 60% be doing all the work? Where are the 40%? When Jesus healed the 10, one gave thanks. Jesus says, where are the nine? Today I ask, where are the 40%? There are needs in our ministry, folks, and everyone could be involved in them. I asked our office this week, where do we need help? And they were glad to let me know. Carissa oversees our youth program, the children, and she said, hey, we need children church workers. We have so few that next week, Sunday the 31st, the first through the third graders will be combined. And they do that sometimes on the fifth Sunday. They need teachers, nursery workers, especially when we begin our Sunday night programs. We need teachers nursery workers, true trackers. There's such a great need to listen to Scripture from the children. Not hard to do. The Good News Club on Monday needs workers, and perhaps you're in a position, maybe you're retired, maybe you have liberty with your schedule. There are opportunities to serve there. The hospitality team, did you have coffee this morning? Someone was doing that. Were you greeted when you came in? Someone was doing that. And and I love the fact that when enough people are doing something, you rotate. And it's not a strain on anyone. Others are involved, and you're carrying the load with each other. Community groups can always use more involvement and help. Choir and the orchestra are kicking up in the fall. We want your assistance if you're talented in that way. Our tech team, uh, there's needs there. You could be trained and help. Prayer warriors, and and the reason I said we all can be involved in helping, in serving, 
because some of you can't get out and can't do it, and you're online, and you can't even get to church, but you can be praying. You can be sending a card to someone, and the pastors meet weekly, and we send cards out, and you know that. We let you know we're praying for you, and we get calls all the time, and when we see people, they say, thank you. I was going through something in my life, and you have no idea what a blessing that was. You can do that. So out in the lobby today, there is sign-ups, and I ask people to man those tables. If you've got questions, you know, sometimes we say, Lord, revive our church and let it begin in me, and that's a good prayer. But if you're going to pray, Lord, meet these needs, please add and let me be at the front of the line. Be willing to serve and join together because there's such great opportunities that we have. We're not only to be careful about not to complain, we must be willing to serve. I shared with my class last week... um, Someone wrote about being a soldier for Jesus Christ, and I think it's good enough to share it with you. Someone wrote it. I can't give him credit. I don't know who it is, but it always impressed my heart. And when Paul told Timothy, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, this is the way the author put it. He says, I'm a soldier in the army of God. The Lord Jesus Christ is my commanding officer. The Holy Bible is my code of conduct. Faith, prayer, And the word of God are my weapons of warfare. I have been taught by the Holy Spirit, trained by experience, tried by adversity, and tested by fire. I'm a volunteer in this army, and I am enlisted for eternity. I will either retire in this army at the rapture or die in this army. But I will not get out, sell out, be talked out, or pushed out. I'm faithful. I'm reliable, capable, dependable. If my God needs me, I'm there. If he needs me in Sunday school to teach your children, work with the youth, help adults, or just sit and learn, I'm there. He can use me because I'm there. I'm a soldier, not a baby. I don't need to be pampered, petted, primed up, pumped up, picked up, or pepped up. I'm a soldier. No one has to call me, remind me, write me, visit me, entice me, lure me. I'm a soldier, not a wimp. I'm in place, saluting my king obeying his orders, praising his name, and building his kingdom. No one has to send me flowers, gifts, food, cards, candy, give me handouts. I do not need to be cuddled, cradled, cared for, or catered to. I'm committed. I cannot have my feelings hurt bad enough to turn me around. I cannot be discouraged enough to turn me aside. I cannot lose enough to cause me to quit. If I end up with nothing, I will still come out ahead. I will win. My God has and will continue to supply all my needs. I am more than a conqueror. I will always triumph. I can do all things through Christ. Devils cannot defeat me. People cannot disillusion me. Weather cannot weary me. Sickness cannot stop me. Battles cannot beat me. Money cannot buy me. Governments cannot silence me. And hell cannot touch me. Even death cannot destroy me. When my commander calls me from this battlefield, he will promote me to captain and then allow me to rule with him. I'm a soldier in this army, and I'm marching, claiming victory, and I will not give up. I will not turn around. I'm a soldier headed heaven-bound. Folks, 
This has been here all year. You may look at it. You may think about it. You may say, oh, it's nice to look at a church in the book of Acts that was empowered. If this is not going to be, once again, a theme, but a goal of ours, get on board. Become a soldier. Fight for what we are representing here. The gospel of Jesus Christ going out to our community, providing for missionaries and supporting them around the world. But 40%, jump in. Make it your heart as well. I love the fact that the text says, then. It was speaking of when there was a restored sense of unity and involvement by everyone in ministry. Then the word of God spread. The number of disciples were multiplied greatly. Wow. And those two words, spread and multiplied, they're both in perfect tense, indicating that both the spread of the gospel and the growth of the church were continuous. So folks, when dissension is checked within, the work of of God goes on with great power and blessing. And this is something that should speak to all our hearts. God wants you involved in his church. The church is so important to Jesus Christ. Be asking the Lord, how would he have you involved? Serve with an open heart. And at Calvary, we are so blessed to have the men that serve as deacons. And what an encouragement they are to us. Pray for us, minister to us in so many ways. And I I would ask that they come forward. I've uh, sent out an email. If you're a deacon anywhere in the building, why don't you come down front? I want to pray for you as we close. I want our congregation to see you as well. Uh, Just step up and and come forward if you're here this morning. They serve in areas on committees like finance and missions and facilities and membership and benevolence and Sunday classes. And what a joy they are to have on our right hand and our left. Some aren't here. I know they're away on vacation, but let me tell you who serves so you know who to pray for. Joe Barker, Kevin Boffman, Jason Bain, Brian Bolderson, G.W. Bowers, Eric Brennan, Brian Carruthers, Caleb Connor, Steve Delaney, David Edmondson, Stephen Hall, Tom Hansen, Reuben Hawks, Daniel Hur, Doug Holliday, Bill Howard, Matt Howell, Jason Kazian, Eric Knight, Mike Copa, Rich Lager, Lester Lippincott, Don Pennington, James Porter, Will Sowers, Caleb Sowers, Scott Taylor, Jason Wagner. Folks, we are blessed. We are blessed to have these men serving. And may I say thank you, guys. You don't always get appreciation because a lot of times you're behind the scenes. But we can't do it without you. And I'm going to take a moment to say, listen, we're recognizing this section of Scripture that speaks of deacons, ladies, you know who you are, and so many of you serve in such sacrificial ways. We cannot be the church we are without your service as well. But I just want to thank these men that tirelessly spend hours at meetings and following up with people and help. And, and I'm blessed as a teacher, as a pastor, to get calls from these folks, and, and they fill in so many areas. And so I do want to pray for them this morning and, and just thank God for them and ask him to continue to work in us and through us that we might continue to bring him glory and to minister to many. And as I close, I do want to invite anyone here that has never been born again to consider their need of Christ. 
I thought as, what, what a transition, because I never speak without inviting someone to be saved. How do I transition from the structure of the church to the work of the church? Pretty simple. Jesus came to seek and to save them that were lost. How can we speak about a structure without inviting anyone here that hasn't been born again an opportunity to pray that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is the Son of God and God raised him from the dead, and you confess that with your mouth, for believing with the heart brings righteousness, and confession with the mouth brings salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here and never been saved, and I've been having conversations this week of why people would want to be saved. You read the book of Acts, and why were they coming in the thousands? Because they wanted what the disciples had. They saw the light of Christ in them. The songs we sang today were a gospel in and of themselves to recognize, wow, I want to be a part of that. So if you're here and don't know Christ or you have questions, I'll be at the hospitality table. Come back. Talk with me. Any of our pastors, any others here will be able to help you as well. That's our first concern. But join me as we pray and we close today, but as we thank God for this service of these men. Father, we're so thankful for your love and your grace and your gospel. And Lord, it has made the difference in our lives. And we love you, and today we've sung songs to express that love. But Lord, I pray as as a great opportunity to consider the structure of the church and the many ministries available to serve in, I pray you would cause each one to think of what they can be doing, and especially those that may not be doing anything. Lord, help us as a church not to have a theme of an empowered church, But, Lord, we ask you to empower us. Help us to be effective in this community you've called us. Thank you for these servants that love you and a great encouragement to us us throughout the year and the wisdom they give and the counsel and, Lord, the blessing. Uh, Just calls and texts from them encourage my heart regularly. And, Lord, uh, they are family men. They have uh, other responsibilities and jobs, and yet they faithfully serve you. Bless them for that. Help their ministry to grow. Encourage them. Bless them and keep us, Lord, with our eyes on you that you might receive glory and honor. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen.